And I quickly realized that golf is a, a great equalizer sport where many different people from different ages and skill levels can all coexist on the course at the same time. That no matter if you're a really skilled player or a new beginner player, that everyone's always working on something and has that common thread of improvement that we all kind of share. I thought it wasn't crazy to think that you could pull together lots of strangers and create a league out of it. That it didn't have to always be based on gender groups or senior groups or these are for people that are of a certain skill level, which is how fragmented most leagues are. We have to have some sort of status that it really can work just like public golf. Who fills the T-sheet up on a normal day? If you can just organize those people that regularly fill up the T-sheet into organized games, that really would resonate. At the most fundamental level, what Twilight Golf is, is, is taking the folks that normally want to play during those hours and trying to structure it where there can be a reason to keep coming back. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to learn about our upcoming episode, listen to some previous ones, and to enter our latest Mod Golf Giveaway Contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Nick Conrad, who is the founder and general manager of Twilight Golf Association. Twilight Golf Association, or TGA, is dedicated to organizing recreational leagues and outings for adults of all ages and experience levels at over 300 golf courses and growing, from what I understand, and their facilities across the U.S. So with that introduction, Nick, hey, we met each other in Orlando there about, gosh, what was that, almost a year ago, nine, ten months ago. So good to see you, even though it's virtually looking at you here, but it's good to see you again. So welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, Nick. Thank you, Colin. It's great to see you too. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to pick up our conversation over breakfast at Denny's in Orlando with the PGA show, let's kind of continue things. I'm sure lots has happened with Twilight Golf Association since we last spoke. I'm excited to hear about all this and share with our listeners about what you've been up to, your entrepreneurial journey, the acquisition as you become part of the Golf Genius software team under that umbrella with Twilight Golf Association. But hey, I like to start it off with a couple of icebreaker questions to kind of keep it light here. And the first one I always love to ask is your connectivity to golf. The first time you ever picked up a golf club, Nick, how old were you? What was that like? And also the power of invitation. Who invited you and introduced you to the game? My very first round I've ever played golf was I was invited on a weekend afternoon by one of my high school best friends. He uh, had just called over to our house and asked if I was available, that we could go play golf. And he had his dad's set of clubs that we could share. We can go out and play in the park. So I would say my first experience was it was extremely green. I truly arrived at a place called Bailey Golf Course in, in Toms River, New Jersey, totally green and not knowing any of the etiquette or any of the real nuances of golf other than what I had maybe picked up at the driving ranges and miniature golf and things like that, right? Which I think is probably a lot of people is that you piece together what you know at miniature golf with what you do at the driving range and think, put those things together and that's golf. What stands out most about that round, which set me on a, uh, an interesting path with, with learning the game was I remember just very quickly after check-in, we're out on the fairway and I'm, I'm learning as I go. And I'm being told that the irons, right, which is something you don't use at the driving range that much, you know, the, the, something along the lines of the numbers on the irons correlate to how high the ball goes. Right. That's kind of how I was interpreting it, right? So it's like the nine iron, that's going to be a really high shot. And, you know, your four and your five iron, that's that's a lower shot. I, I do vividly remember you know, quickly picking up on the idea that hitting the ball high seems risky and, and hitting a bunch of five irons probably from inside 100 yards. And I, I remember walking away from that round thinking, 
gosh, I, I, I was overpowering that course. I think I actually am pretty good at, at golf. Um, <laughs> it's really more of just, I got to figure out this club head speed and things like that. It was probably a really dangerous round for everyone that was out there on the course with me and my, my friends who also, again, didn't really know it, it was, it was just, we had a couple sets of clubs that, that weren't ours that we were playing with. So I remember walking away thinking that I was competent. A few rounds later, I was invited to an outing once and I remember feeling really embarrassed in after doing that a few times. Someone had asked the age old question, are you good at golf? It's such a part of this game and the sport that people really don't ask that about other sports that much. Someone says, are you good at the other sports that you play? And right. I had said yes. And I remember being the butt of the jokes afterwards at the lunch and gosh, Nick said he was good and he couldn't do this or do that. It, it motivated me in two ways. It motivated me early on saying, one, don't ever say you're competent in something if you have no barometer of what that is, right? So be very careful of how you present yourself or you know, saying that you know how to do something if you really don't know. And then secondly, it motivated me. I said, I really want to actually learn how to play golf well. Seeing people actually that knew what they were doing was fascinating. See shots being hit well. That's why people love going to tour events. It's so enamoring. And so I knew that at some point I wanted to learn how to play really well. And at that stage of my life, it just wasn't a part of my life at all. So I didn't have the, the time to sacrifice to, to dedicate to get better. But that criticism, that time being found out that, no, you're, you're not very good at this, um, <laughs> was very pivotal. Yeah. From what you just mentioned there, Nick, it sounds like you and I have a very similar golf history, at least starting the game in the sense that I didn't grow up around a golf culture. My No one in my family plays. It wasn't really part of what we were doing. I played a lot of sports very competitively, all team sports. I had a, a similar situation, although I was younger. There's someone on the street, kid and his dad played and they invited me out. Never saw a golf club before. I, my dad had these old clubs I don't think had been used in literally 30 years. Like the woods were actually wood. That's how old they were. And I think it was around nine years old or so. And I remember going out there not knowing what I was doing. Just a nine pole course just outside of Toronto where I grew up. I remember this guy yelling at me because on the fairway, they hit the first shot, not very well, probably missed a couple of times. And I remember this as a kid taking the ball, picking it up, and then putting the tee down, putting it in the ground in the fairway, and then hitting the ball. And this guy screaming at me, that, oh, you can't do that. Just very intimidating, even at that age. It's like, wow, this is not only hard, but it's kind of scary. So having great first experiences, sounds like your buddies were a little more tolerant with you, your first round of golf there, hitting your four and five irons around there. But I really find this fascinating. I really want to dig into this with everything you learned there at the beginning of your onboarding of golf and how that's informed you with Twilight Golf Association. But I do want to hold off on that piece for just a moment because I've got one more other question I want to ask you here as a bit of an intro. And I've been asking this question lately, and I, I love the responses I've been getting with this. Quite often we ask, oh, what's the best job you've had? Or what is something that's really positive that you've done and what you learned from this? I've flipped the script on this one and want to ask you this question, Nick. What is the worst job you've ever had in your life, whatever age that was that you consider? And with that, what positive takeaways do you have from that worst job experience? The worst experience I had, it was, it was a work-study job in college that I had signed on for. It was working at an on-campus pizzeria that was offering minimum wage, and it was offering work-study shifts in two-hour increments. I needed to work as soon as I started with school. So I, I took the job. I filled out all the initial paperwork to show up. And infamously, which amongst my roommates and those who know me, that was the only shift I ever worked at that place. And I came home that night at probably 10 o'clock at night after that 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. shift. And I said, I'm not going back. When I first arrived, they had said, well, you know, there's a few more pieces of paperwork. You have to go photocopy some things to get direct deposit to get paid. And you need a copy of this and that. And 
that was on the other side of campus. And for those two hours, I said, this shift will be on the house. I quickly realized I was in a work environment that I didn't want to be in. And I think that was probably the, the lasting lesson. I actually had worked in pizzerias before growing up in New Jersey, which is why I applied for the job in the first place. It was a familiar place for me to be a server. And it was that, that first impression that I very quickly realized how I was spending my time. I said, do I really want to spend my nights? Which again, is very valuable, whether it be for studying or sleeping. Again, this was like freshman year. I was on my own for the first time. There was nothing about the job itself, but it was very quickly realizing, is this where I need to be or is this the best place for me right now? So it was a two-hour job that I walked away from. It was a great lesson for me, which has carried over into my professional career where I've had a career pivot twice and both of them very clean. And when I changed direction, I knew exactly what I was going towards. And it's something that I think if a lot of the young people now, especially with how transparent your resumes are and your LinkedIn profiles that it may be intimidating to change, but oftentimes if you know why you're doing it, it can be an extremely valuable thing to just realize what your worth is and where and what you should be doing and, and to not waste time being somewhere that you shouldn't be. Oh, that's, that's some great insights you just provided there. So, well, you lasted only a quarter of the time that my worst job I ever had. I lasted a full day, but you only lasted two hours. So you were, you were out of there. <laughs> I, I find this quite interesting, what you would just mention there with first impressions and that onboarding. If they would have made an effort there to make it a better experience, maybe make you feel more welcome, make it less arduous. You talked about all the paperwork. It was just bad from the start. And I'm really interested to hear of how that's informed you of the experience with Twilight Golf Association and the other things you've done and how entrepreneurship, golf, and your personal experiences all come together here. So let's take a step back so our listeners can understand. Why don't you first give us the elevator pitch? Tell us what Twilight Golf Association is and why you do what you do. Sure. Twilight Golf Association, it's a golf association made for adults that are looking to play recreational golf. It is a USGA Type 2 member club, which what that means is it's a club without real estate and it's a club that preaches and follows USGA rules. We try to make the impression to golfers that this is a golf association that you can join and play in, where you can know that other golfers around you are also trying to follow the rules of golf and also are here for recreational purposes. So it is a pure get out and play golf type of club. And the twilight part of it is where I think our niche is, is that we only organize leagues and outings that take place during weeknights, which is a big part of the introduction point for a lot of golfers because during twilight hours, maybe the most approachable time when golf is. It's the time of day when golf is most convenient, for many people, it's the time of day when golf is most affordable for people. And it's the time of day that people can regularly fit into their schedule and play golf more consistently, which as we know, is kind of the challenge of this game. It doesn't matter how many times you go out and play in your life, it's, it's how consistently are you playing to keep your game sharp. And so Twilight Golf Association, our mission is to organize golfers to make it convenient for as many people as possible at public golf courses throughout the US. I do it because I was that person that was looking for a unified, very agnostic club that didn't have to be a certain age, didn't demand me to be a senior or didn't demand me to be a man or a woman's group or have to have some sort of handicap to be a part of it. Myself and a few of my really close friends who are now business coworkers of mine, we wanted to create the golf association that would be most open arms to the most people to just give that entry point of here's an accessible way to play golf with no frills. There's no gambling or you keep score for structure purposes, but you really don't have to feel any sort of way about the competition. It can be as little or as competitive as you want it to be. 
That's what we've been trying to build for the last five or six years is what is the golf association that can give people an open structure to play more regularly. And I go back to the experience that I felt when I first realized that I wasn't very good at golf. And I had that feeling that I wanted to play more often and get better. And the time eventually came some years later when I did have time for golf in my schedule. And it was that after work time where I had a more of a nine to five job where I can go after work and play. And I quickly realized that golf is a, a great equalizer sport where many different people from different ages and skill levels can all coexist on the course at the same time. That no matter if you're a really skilled player or a new beginner player, that everyone's always working on something and has that common thread of improvement that we all kind of share. I thought it wasn't crazy to think that you could pull together lots of strangers and create a league out of it, that it didn't have to always be based on gender groups or senior groups, or these are for people that are of a certain skill level, which is how fragmented most leagues are or you have to be a part of a certain company, or you have to have some sort of status that it really can work just like public golf. Who fills the T-sheet up on a normal day? If you can just organize those people that regularly fill up the T-sheet into organized games, that really would resonate. At the most fundamental level, what Twilight Golf is, is, is taking the folks that normally want to play during those hours and trying to structure it where there can be a reason to keep coming back. To me, what leagues are, is leagues are purpose in the sport of golf. When, when you're a part of a league, you're part of a regular series of outings. It gives you a purpose to, to show up to the course regularly. And without that, it is easy to let the game slip and not play as often as maybe you want. Yeah, well, I certainly know that myself for many years of not playing as much as I wanted when my kids were younger. Didn't have a lot of friends that played. I was always organizing it. I was the social coordinator and I just hated it. It was like herding cats, only playing four or five times a year. The guys I were playing with, they're good friends, but they weren't very good. So I wasn't getting any better. So now I love to surround myself with people that are quite good, and I do, and I'm not intimidated by that anymore. I actually learn from them, and I'm getting better. But I find this interesting to circle back to a couple of things you said there, Nick. Sounds like you were suffering these pain points, all the things you mentioned that you wanted in a league and those barriers to you playing more golf and creating that sense of community that didn't have an exclusionary component to it, truly making it open for everyone. So it sounds like you were creating, as we talk about in the in the startup space, when you're creating a product or a service or experiences, you're creating personas. It's like, what is that person? What is the demographic? What is the quality and quantity of their life? And what are their fears? What are their wants and desires? So it sounds like you were that person and expanded that out with your friends. So you mentioned earlier also, that was about five or six years ago now. To expand on that, when you had the idea... As we know, in entrepreneurship, an idea is one thing, it's 0.001% of the effort. It's about execution and how do you then get it off the ground and deliver that? What was your next step there? How did you get started with Twilight Golf Association? It sounds like at that time, it wasn't necessarily technology that was the most important thing. We're now with what you have with your partnership and acquisition that happened a year or so ago with Golf Genius Software to help propel you forward. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, let's step back. Tell us about that. You had the aha moment during a rain delay, but what were the early steps? What did you do first to create, as we call a minimum viable product or even a pilot or a test or an experiment? What did you do first to see if this was actually A, something people wanted and B, ultimately, is this a business? Will people pay for this, that this could be a sustainable business model? Right. Everyone has an idea and the key is to, to run with it, right? And you mentioned a minimally viable product, which is the very basic first version 1.0 of anything. And the most important thing is to put that out there. And I wasn't thinking in these terms at all at that time. It was truly, how can I create the thing that I want to be a part of? The very first version of Twilight Golf Association began at 
three area courses nearby to me where I took the time one summer to talk to the head professionals and the general managers at each of those courses to figure out the problem of why isn't there more programming or more options to golf for someone like me who continually comes to your courses after work. I was inundated with other options to play adult basketball or you know flag football, volleyball, softball leagues. But for golf, it's the one sport that seems like no other business or no other recreation entity wants to touch. And as we know, it's, it's a complex business. It's a complex hospitality entity where there's a lot more factors involved other than just renting a field or renting a court for the night. And so I realized that there was a, a missing piece between those who run golf courses and those who want to play at them. If you want organized play, there has to be somebody willing to do it. That very first year, it was just a matter of, let me create a league first that I can be a part of and, and play in. And let me also see if I can create that for other people, being that there's got to be a lot of other people just like me who wish there was something a little more encompassing, something very basic that didn't demand tons of time and energy. And I created it locally. I thought of it as this could be a small business. I'd, I'd always worked second jobs a lot throughout my early career. So I said, maybe this can replace me having to work on my feet at nights. It was great. The very early version of Twilight Golf involved going out, playing nine holes with the team, which I put together for everybody, and submit your score through a website that we created. It was a very basic starter website that had standings and an option to where you could upload your scorecard. So that was the minimal viable product that Twilight began with, which again, at its, at its core was just playing golf. Play golf with those who are normally out on the course with you and we'll share the results with you. Gotcha. Over time, I really was inspired by the adoption of it. But yeah, I, I remember the very first person that signed up and that feeling of, oh my gosh, someone wants to be a part of the same thing that I'm thinking of too. And I had a, the idea that this has to look great and this has to seem like a, a real golf association. And that's what ultimately I, I think brought people together was that very quickly, I think our business, the name and how we introduced ourselves through the website and through some of the early flyers and materials that people very quickly figured out what this was, mm -hmm. um, which is a really important part for anybody who's in that very early stage of businesses is that you should be able to hear your name or get that first impression and, and know exactly what it is you're trying to do. So that's why I thought it was important to call it a golf association. And I thought it was important to be very clear about what it was we were doing. We were organizing Twilight Leagues. That was the very first summer and the very first iteration of, of Twilight Golf. Nice, nice. We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the ModGolf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com. A lot of great points and takeaways you just made there for our listeners that are considering entrepreneurship or they've got an idea, whether it's a product or even if it's outside of golf, if they're looking at a venture, it's like, well, how do you test this? And you did this at a very low fidelity type of way. You didn't put a lot of money into it and it was still a side hustle for you. You were doing this at night, which I guess also works out that it's Twilight Golf. So it is after work for you so to get out there and play also. 
but you manage to get feedback. We talk about the customer discovery, in this case here with the golf courses, which you've got a kind of an interesting mix here. It's also quite complicated or more complex that you've got your users as your players, the people that are signing up for the teams. And then you also have the golf course owners, which if they're not on board, then you're not going to go anywhere because I'm sure you had to sound like you had to unlock this piece to the puzzle, like Uber and also Airbnb, the greatest virtue they have and what they took advantage of was underutilized vehicles, underutilized bedrooms and houses and apartments that were only being used 5, 10, 15, 20% of the time. So tell us a little bit about that, the conversations you had with those three original golf course operators and owners. Because I'm sure they say, no, we're full here. We've got our T-sheet, it's maxed out, we really don't need this. So what was the value proposition you presented to them of why would they want to jump on board with Twilight Golf Association? The very first golf course operator who said yes, the reason that he said he would love to have us organize and play was because he had an underutilized T-sheet. 2017, that was much more of the narrative of we have these these openings on weeknights. And so for them, it was a no-brainer. And I realized very quickly as well in these conversations that in order to get these partnerships, which you mentioned, are, are so vital in this type of business where you're connecting consumers and the end user, which is the golf course, when you're playing that role of connector, whether it be Uber or Airbnb, as you mentioned, it has to be an absolute win, no brainer for the Uber or the Airbnb, the person that's driving the car, the person that's renting their house, the golf course. If it's not an absolute positive, no strings attached type of partnership, you're not going to very quickly adopt those users. So in our model, golf courses retain 100% of the greens fees that they get from our players. Twilight Golf, which we have not mentioned yet, is a membership-based club. So people do pay a membership to join each season, and then they pay the golf course the full normal rate that they would play otherwise if they just showed up to play at that given time. So for them, it was initially filling tee sheets. And for them, it was initially how they could maximize their food and beverage, other social things around their course. If people are part of social groups, that's something that gives them more of a reason to stay afterwards. When people come out and play as singles and solos, there's much less of that. Those were kind of the two really indicators of, yeah, this would be good to have a group or a league here. And for them, it was, again, pretty much no risk. If I, if I was telling people that there would be golfers coming, that they'd be paying the full rate and that they were members, and which was part of the, how do we know they're going to show up? Is that, well, they've all paid a membership to be a part of this. So we're fairly certain they're going to have great attendance. That was the initial feedback from those courses is that we would love to have you fill our unused times. Love this. So that's just a key point you just made there that as an entrepreneur, someone that's creating something and when you create it, it's your baby. You fall in love with this thing sometimes too much. And sometimes you don't want to share it with people because you don't want people to maybe tell you your baby's ugly. You don't want to hear that, but you've got to get it out there and get that feedback. Don't try to sell, ask questions and see where their pain points are and where the opportunities are. And there may be some that reveal themselves that you didn't even know were there. And that's such a key that you mentioned there for you to kind of figure out how this can operate as a business, where you're adding value for all of your users, for all of your partners, for all of your customers. So you did touch on my next question, which was, how do you make money? What's your revenue model here? So you talked about the fact you are membership-based with your players. So I want to expand on that because we're struggling with this right now with a, a venture that we're bringing to market through our company, Reviver Sport Entertainment in the golf space. If all goes well in another uh, six to 10 months in mid-2023. And the thing we're struggling with right now, what we don't have an answer for, 
is the pricing model. How much do you charge? So talk about that in the early days and how that's progressed over the last five years. Where do you find the value you're adding and what the market will bear and what people are willing to pay? You don't want to charge too much. You don't want to charge too little. So talk about that, the best that you could share with us here with your pricing model for your membership and how that's evolved over the years. Sure, absolutely. And, and one thing that I'm, I'm proud of and that we've maintained is that even since starting in, in 2017, the, the membership price, even going to next year, is the exact same. We are not raising that rate. It's a $49.99 membership to join. Like you mentioned, you have to do your homework on what the market, or in this case, what, what are golfers willing to pay and what, what is the value that you're really giving them and what is that worth. When you're starting a business, one of the first places you should look is how are people used to spending their money? I think it's difficult sometimes to try to reinvent a new way to spend, maybe some model that's not out there or some other new way to come up with revenue. In my case, I was really looking at how do people like paying and how do other successful businesses create their revenue stream? So I mentioned recreation sports before, adult softball leagues, and they all come with some sort of membership to join. That was the first component of this is that people are willing to pay a membership to be a part of something for a certain period of time. The second part of it, which I think is critical, at least in our current model, is people are used to paying golf courses at the counter or they're used to paying their golf course. There's a lot of ways that we could have gone in doing this. We could have collected the payments up front ourselves, but it's a comfortable way that people are used to and they feel like they're contributing to their golf course when they're paying at the counter. They know where their money's going. They know that this is what it costs. It's very transparent of what it is on their website. I just think it's a matter of finding comfortable ways that people are used to already spending their money and not trying to introduce to them a new way of what your business looks like. Gotcha. Just looking at your website here, you've said you've held the price for the membership steady since the beginning, but it sounds like you're offering even more value. I see that you've got member benefits now uh, and discounts on products and services for all your league members. Just another way to help create community around that. Did you get feedback from your members that that's something you would like? Did you survey them? So talk about that process, the back and forth and how you arrived at that, that that now offers even more value for your members. Yeah, I think any membership-based business has to think a lot about the long-term of what makes people keep coming back or what makes people feel a lot of value about being a part of your organization or your association in this case. So that's constantly on all of our minds of how can we continue to create value with our membership price? We want people to keep coming back. We've taken the strategy that we can grow Twilight Golf Association and, and new chapters can start and new areas can start based on volume of finding more people that are willing to play and, and not making price a barrier. Because again, that was one of the very first parts of this whole equation was, okay, if we want to create a golf association that's for everybody, then you, you have to stand by a, a price that makes it accessible as well. So yeah, the member benefits and everyone that joins our golf association gets a free annual subscription of Golf Digest magazine. We try to offer different contests and giveaways throughout the year. Those are all geared towards trying to say, we want you to feel that you're getting more than just your weekly round of golf. Golf Genius was a huge value add when we first joined on as a customer of Golf Genius. In the very early ongoings of Twilight Golf, we would give away tailor-made hats or golf balls as part of your membership. It quickly became a very big logistical undertaking. Yes. We said, gosh, ordering these hats and shipping them and getting people the right sizes and colors and all those sort of things got replaced when eventually it became clear that things like live scoring and tea time alerts and those sort of things were going to be important to people. And Golf Genius was the preeminent tournament management software that eventually it was an inevitable place for us. As, as I kept working on this and growing Twilight Golf with our team, we needed a solution. And 
And so it became, okay, well, Golf Genius is going to be the value add that we're going to give our golfers. We're going to give you an app where you can post scores and see a live leaderboard as opposed to having to submit a scorecard online and wait for the results the next day. We're going to give you a, a league website where you can see your tee time and see the leaderboards and see all these things that if we didn't sign on with Golf Genius initially to be a customer, uh, we wouldn't be able to deliver that much value. Got you. Got you. And that, that's such a key, important element you mentioned there too. As an entrepreneur, you don't need to build every single component. I'll use the analogy of, let's say, Tesla or a car there. You don't build your own carburetor, your own alternator, your own windshield wipers. Those are other original equipment manufacturers that are out there that you put that together as, as a system. So you need to plug these in and find the components that work with you. So you touched on Golf Genius. That's where I'm going with my next question. And that is your relationship with them. So you got going for a couple of years, you start getting some revenue, you start getting some traction, you're figuring out the business model. Partly answered my question is how did the relationship started? It sounded like it started because you were actually a customer of Golf Genius Software. So with entrepreneurs, especially in the tech space, their ultimate dream is to have an exit. They go IPO themselves or they get an exit. They get acquired by a Google or an Apple or an Amazon or a Fortune 500 company. And it sounds like in your case here, you had what we call an aqua hire. They acquired Twilight Golf Association and then also hired you because now you're on the leadership team and representing, of course, leading uh, all the efforts there with Twilight Golf Association. So, hey, Nick, share with us how that came about. So I find this very interesting because there's never a generic answer. There's no one size fits all. So talk about the length of time from the early awareness with the leadership team you got on their radar, who approached who, and how did you end up where you are now as, uh, as being part of the Golf Genius software team? It was almost two years ago that we received an email from Mike and Chris, who we had never had contact with before, mostly because Twilight Golf was one of over 10,000 customers of Golf Genius. So we really had only experience talking with some of the Golf Genius account managers and sales staff. And I believe what initially got us on their radar was that we were surprising them as a customer of how many rounds were being posted through our account. They do track a lot of metrics of which customers of theirs are using the most bandwidth of the software, which customers are sending out the most emails, which customers are sending out the most text message alerts. And I remember in some of the early conversations was that you guys are sending thousands of emails and thousands of text messages. What are you doing? What is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> they were curious. I generally think Mike and Chris were just very curious about what Twilight Golf Association was and how we were supercharging their software and what we were using it for. Several months later, we had met and several months after that, we discussed. And I think it became apparent to them that we were solving a problem that they were interested to work more on, which is somewhat of this managed service idea, which is any software company is like providing a bus to their customer, providing them with tools to be able to help their business. And what Twilight actually does for golf courses, it's also providing a bus driver. It's providing somebody that says, even if you don't necessarily buy the software or know how to use it, we can also provide you with somebody that will run it for you and still accomplish the end goal, which is manage tournaments, outings, and leagues at your golf course, which especially for public courses, that's a focus for Golf Genius of trying to find more ways to help improve public golf course operations. As we know, a lot of golf courses are, especially public courses, are run by municipalities. You know, they're run by townships and, and places that maybe are technologically still behind in a lot of ways. We've all seen golf course websites. They're not invested in technology as much. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a private club where the demands for better 
you know, technologies are there. So that was really, I think, the, the early genesis of how can Twilight Golf help Golf Genius serve golf courses better by being the bus driver for our software. We eventually came to terms that it would be best if we were just a part of their staff and that if everyone that had been a part of Twilight Golf Association was a full-time Golf Genius employee, that we could continue running the Golf Association the exact same way that we have been, which has been great over the past years, that we haven't changed anything at all, but that we're just able now to serve more golf courses, again, by delivering them a managed software service that otherwise they may never have invested in because of whether it be cost or usability or just that they're not at a point yet that they're willing to invest in software. Gotcha. And I guess you've managed to cut your costs because you don't have to pay for your tournament management software anymore now, do you? That works out well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Love what you said there. This notion of first you need to nail it, figure it out and what you did the first couple of years with Twilight Golf Association and get that traction and build up the value and then you scale it and you scale that through partnerships. And it sounds like your partnership with Golf Genius Software is first getting you access to all these other golf courses that they've built relationships with and also the tournament software and how both of you, the synergy, it seems like you have there, you're just getting started. So it's exciting stuff. It, it really is. So, hey, I have a lot more questions I want to ask you about where you are now, about the future of Twilight Golf Association, where you see the opportunities, and dig a little more into some stories of some players. But I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to show some restraint for a change, which is odd for me because usually I have a difficult time doing that. But I'm going to hold off because you and I are going to jump on a video call for another conversation for the Mod Golf YouTube channel. And we can talk about all those other things. So I really encourage our listeners to jump over there to uh, to become viewers also, to kind of hear the second part of this story that we're going to talk about, about the future of Twilight Golf Association and where they're going and all those good things. And I do, as always, in the show notes, I'll have the link down for our YouTube video on there also. But to finish up here, Nick, hey, why don't you let our listeners know where they can learn more about Twilight Golf Association, where they can perhaps sign up for next year if they want to get involved and, and join a league. Sure. Our website is twilightgolfassociation.com, which is a directory of uh, and a place where you can find all leagues that are active for winter, spring, summer, and fall. And then you can also find information about us on Golf Genius's website, uh, which is golfgenius.com. Nice and simple as that. I see you're over 300 plus golf courses right now in the U.S. You're not into Canada quite yet or anywhere else. We'll talk about the future and expansion later on. Like I said, we'll hold off on that for our our video conversation. Yeah, for all of our Canadian listeners, of course, I'm up here in Canada. Unfortunately, you won't be able to enjoy the benefits and get in a league with Twilight Golf Association quite yet. But hey, jump over to our YouTube channel and find out from Nick what the plans are in the future. So hey, Nick, why don't we end with that? Thanks for the conversation today. I really appreciated this. Glad we uh, managed to follow up from our breakfast at Denny's there. And uh, hey, maybe we could do breakfast again in Orlando when I'm there. Hopefully you're there again and uh, we can meet up for another omelet. That would be great. Sounds good. So hey, Nick, thanks for joining me today with the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate it. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.